In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So goes the first question in our text. And when we hear it, we rightly sort of cringe. What a silly question. You don't do to inherit. It makes about as much sense as asking, what must I do to become Queen of England? Can't I simply learn to dress and speak like royalty? Or what if I'm really good at the princess wave? No, you need to be born into the royal family. And it also helps to have a decent position in the line of succession. But all of this is to say you can't do something to get an inheritance. You get an inheritance when you're in the will of someone who has died. So we rightly see that something is not quite right with this student of the law. He's asking the wrong kind of question. But we need to recognize something else here, too. The lawyer wants the right thing. He wants eternal life. He wants eternal life with God. But then there's this. The lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Now, before we get too carried away, we should know that this lawyer is not the kind of person who would be found in a courtroom. For he was not a student of the political legal code, but of the law of Holy Scripture. This man was an Old Testament scholar the kind of guy who could tell you the ins and outs of Torah. So he, of all people, should know where and how to get eternal life. His very asking of the question betrays him. But whatever the man's motivation, he gets Jesus into a conversation. What does the Bible say? How do you read it? Well, love the Lord your God completely. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I wonder if we catch what is going on here. The answer that the man gives is one of the primary texts for for Jews. If a schoolboy had paid even the slightest bit of attention in class, he would have learned this. Love God and love neighbor. So foundational is this teaching that is even well known in the secular world as the golden rule. But if someone has even the most basic acquaintance with the Bible, even if he knows nothing else, he knows this, love God, love neighbor. So when Jesus asks this question, I can imagine that he's making the lawyer feel pretty foolish. The lawyer thinks he has this great question to test Jesus. And Jesus points him back to one of the most basic tenets of the faith. It would be something akin to 
to a famous, a famous mathematician coming with a question. And you respond by asking him, what is two plus two? It's a teacher asking a student for the most basic information possible. So Jesus then says, yeah, that's right. Do that and you will live. The answer is tied to the question. Ask a law question, get a law answer. Now, it seems pretty simple. Love God, love neighbor. Just two rules. And it's a truth that's nearly universally known and confessed by the human race. Love God, love neighbor. Just four little words. Yet for all of our technological advances, for all that we know about the world, and even for everything we know about ourselves, we can't seem to get this one thing right. Somehow, even when we think we have a right motive, we find ourselves measuring and calculating, serving God and neighbor with mixed motives at best. The lawyer knew this too. He knew the context of the command given in Leviticus, as we heard in our Old Testament reading, to leave part of the harvest for the sojourner, to not steal or lie or misuse God's name, to seek justice in court and not favor the wealthy or disregard the poor, to not hate or take vengeance or bear a grudge, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And all the way through this passage, God identifies the neighbor. He says he is the fellow son of your own people. Your neighbor is your fellow Israelite. And so this sets up for the next question from the lawyer. Who is my neighbor? Now, we could probably make a lot of the fact that he skips the first part of this command the part about loving God. But we can leave that for another time. Now, as far as this question of who is my neighbor, I suspect that he thought Jesus would simply tell him that his fellow Jews are his neighbor. And then perhaps he could check that off his list. He could leave this conversation with Jesus confident that he had done what was necessary to gain eternal life. For notice what the text says. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's trying to show Jesus why he has earned eternal life. But Jesus has something different in mind. Jesus has heard this man's confession of pride, and so he goes on to tell this well-known parable because he loves this man. This lawyer who has so deluded himself to think that his salvation rests upon his own shoulders. Yes, Jesus loves this man. He loves him enough to tell him a parable that will condemn him that will root out this man's old Adam and bring him to death. For Jesus knows that if this man remains in his current state, 
His so-called love for God and neighbor will not earn him heaven, but hell. So Jesus tells this parable to bring the lawyer to repentance. See, there's this man. He's traveling on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, walking away from the temple and toward the pagan nations. Met by robbers who beat him and rob him and strip him. He is left within an inch of his life. And they abandon him, naked, bloody, and bruised, for the beasts and wild animals to finish off. But along comes a priest, a potential hero in this story. But he has no love for this man. He's on his way to make sacrifices in the temple. Besides, it's the Sabbath day, and every pious priest knows there's no work done on the Sabbath. Next, a Levite. But he does exactly what the priest does and passes by on the other side. Although these two men know the law, they have hardened their own consciences against it. All they had to do was ask themselves a question. Who is my neighbor? And these two men asked this question not in order to love their neighbor, but in order to avoid it. Maybe it went something like this. That man might be trying to trick me. Robbers are known to prey on the good-heartedness of others. We even call them Good Samaritan crimes. You know, I think he's near death. Or maybe he's even dead already. I can't touch a dead body on my way to the temple on the Sabbath. I'll become unclean, and I won't be able to worship God. Where are the men who did this to him? They can't be far. I don't want to be their next victim. What about my family? What if harm came to me? Who will care for my wife and children? Though his crumpled body across the road begs for help, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. That's why they cross to the other side, putting as much distance between them and their potential neighbor Better to keep my distance, better to stay away, better to avoid this man and avoid seeing his pain. But that's not the end of the story. For there is a third candidate. Perhaps this one will help. But wait, this is not just any man. This is a foreigner, a Samaritan one outside the Jewish community. Perhaps at the mention of his name, there was a gasp from the crowd. If anyone had an excuse for not helping, it was the Samaritan. If there was anyone who didn't need a reason to ignore the man's plight, it was this man. And yet he loved with an unusual kind of love. Though he was on a desolate road, well known for robbers and thieves, the Samaritan takes the time to carefully clean 
and treat each of the man's wounds. Then he picks up the man near death and places him on his own animal. Now, if robbers were to come by, the injured man might escape, but the Samaritan would not. Then, taking him to an inn, he makes a down payment for two months' wages for the man, and the next morning offers to pay anything else necessary when he returns. So as Jesus concludes his story, he asks, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go be like this Samaritan. Go love like no one else. Go give of yourself sacrificially. Go love everyone you encounter. O lawyer, you say you cannot do this? You cannot keep the law? You cannot do it? And too bad. Now the lawyer thinks that he can get rewarded for following the law. But this lawyer doesn't understand the most basic truth about the law. You don't get a reward for following the law. You don't get a reward for paying your taxes on time or not stealing from the grocery store or for following the speed limit. Yes, all of these things are there to keep good order, but the truth remains that the law is there to punish those who break it. So if you want to earn eternal life, then get after it. Start working on it and don't give up for even a moment. So now what? How do you go about showing this kind of love? Does being the good Samaritan mean imitating the little blue engine in that famous children's story? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. As if by simply summoning up enough strength of your own willpower, you will be able to love? No. Jesus is wielding the harsh hammer of the law against this legal expert. Studying the law doesn't get you anywhere. The law must have its way with you. The law must take away any notion of earning or striving or deserving on your own. But the lawyer has missed the most important thing here. Perhaps if he had heard what Jesus said right before this parable, he would understand. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Prophets and kings want what the disciples had. Prophets and patriarchs lived for the day that would come when God would walk among his people. His coming was the hope of nations and the desire of every longing heart. So when the lawyer came up to Jesus, the very one who would give his life for the world, 
that they may have eternal life. The lawyer stood in front of the one who gives eternal life and asks how he can earn it. It makes about as much sense as our question about inheriting the position of Queen of England if you're asking the Queen herself. And there was another error in his, with this question, who is my neighbor? All the way through this text, the lawyer thought that his neighbor is the one that he needs to serve and that by serving his neighbor, he would earn eternal life. But the lawyer has not yet been prepared to serve. He is not the hero of our story, for he has not loved his neighbor as he loves himself. He has been like the priest and the Levite, seeking to narrow the definition of neighbor to a manageable group. Or perhaps he has been like the thieves and robbers. But Jesus wants this lawyer to see himself as the man in the ditch, the one who has been beaten and bruised and left for dead. As he lies in the ditch, what this lawyer needs is not someone to love, but someone to love him, someone to come and rescue him from the trials and dangers that surround him. He does not need others skilled in the law like Levite or temple priest, nor does he merit eternal life by showing mercy. He gains eternal life by receiving mercy. He needs the gospel. He needs one who will rescue him from his sins, who will save him from the devil, who will make him safe from death. He will love his neighbor, but only when he has been given his neighbor's love. So who is this Samaritan? Who is this foreigner who loves with an unearthly kind of love? Who is always fervent in love for neighbor, no matter who the neighbor might be? Who has not become jaded and cynical and stingy with his love? whose love does not grow cold. Your neighbor, says Jesus, is the foreigner, the one who is like you, but not like you, the one like you in every way, but without sin, the one in your flesh who comes to help you. Your neighbor is mercy. Your neighbor is the one who doesn't look like a savior, who is despised and rejected, beaten, bruised, crucified, and left for dead. Our Lord went out of his way. He was willing to come and get down on his knees and get bloody, to be inconvenienced, to pay any price that was necessary, and to make any future promises that would be needed for us in our condition. He paid the man's bill. Had he done this before? The innkeeper seemed to know the in the Samaritan seemed to know the innkeeper and have his trust that his credit was good. This Samaritan 
who no one wanted as their neighbor was everyone's neighbor. He has come to you on the side of the road. Or, to put it another way, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But he sees me lying half dead on the road, battered and beaten by the devil, the world, and my own sinful flesh. And he compassionately binds up my wounds and heals me with the oil of holy baptism and with the wine of his holy supper and carries me to the inn of his holy church and foots the bill for my ongoing care, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, the the fruits of which I receive by his precious means of grace, that he might keep me in the one true faith until he fulfills his promise to return in great glory on the last day, to raise up me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and to all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. And it is never too late to repent. You may have gone down from Jerusalem and may have been wounded on the way. Yet the Samaritan will set you upon his beast and will bring you to the inn and he will take care of you. And in all this, Jesus' admonition to the lawyer is his admonition to you this day as well. Go and do likewise. But for you, this command sounds different than it did to the lawyer. The Samaritan knows, the Samaritan shows mercy and you do not. Jesus is your salvation and you are not. Spoken to someone wishing to justify himself, this is the most profound condemnation. There is a savior and you are not him. But to the one who sees his need, to hear that he has a merciful neighbor, Jesus, who is his savior, this is the most comforting gospel promise. So go, go and do like the injured man. Go be served by Jesus. And then, yes, go out and be merciful like this Samaritan to others. For this love is commanded by Jesus. For Jesus, no one is an enemy. And so it is for you. Having been given the love of your neighbor, you are also equipped to love your neighbors in this world. For in Christ, all others are also our neighbors. For Jesus has poured on you the oil of holy baptism and poured into you the wine of his holy supper. He has brought you to the inn of his church, where his innkeeper serves you with Jesus' own promise. Jesus finds you and binds you up, pays for everything and forgives you, and he promises to come back, and that he'll pay for any other costs that you might incur. Jesus is our nearest neighbor, No one is closer than the one who tended to our wounds. 
Nothing is so close as the head to the members. So let us also love one another and have compassion on each other's needs. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.